You're now listening to the Live Different Podcast with Matt Wilson. What's up, Live Different Podcast listeners? It's Matt coming to you with another episode, hoping that you too will embrace living differently. This week, we are talking with my friend, Alex Starr, who is a bit of a wild man and hopefully will encourage you to go out and live life on your own terms. Without further ado, I'd love to introduce you to Alex. But first, I wanted to say thank you to everyone who signed up to come to our Under 30 Experiences Greece trip. It was pretty incredible to see 96 seats sold in 48 hours. So thank you guys for all the feedback. It's just amazing to hear that this community is able to ask for something that they want. And we researched the hell out of this itinerary, put together the very best product that we could. And now we got 96 people going to Greece, which is just incredible. So huge testament to the community and for you guys talking to us and our team about what you all want. And that's it. You see that? I almost used the word y'all. Been in Texas too long already. All right, here's Alex. Hello, everyone, and welcome. I'm your host, Matt Wilson, and today we're here with Alex Starr. Alex is a traveler and adventurer and host of the Rewrite the Rules podcast, uh, someone who came to me introduced by our mutual friend and former podcast guest, Cody McLean. And uh, yeah, Alex, we're both here in Austin, and we definitely should have just done this in person. 100%, man. Next one. I'm telling you, when you come on mine, we're just going to do it in person in the studio next time. Cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited for that. And yeah, just excited to hear your, your story in general. Yeah, I, I listened in to Rewrite the Rules and I've uh, been checking out what you've been doing a, a little bit more. And you just seem like someone who's trying to go out there and I, I guess, as you said, probably off uh, camera, live life on their own terms and encourage other people to do that as well. So I'm curious how you started to think that way. I don't know your total background, Matt. Maybe we'll cover that uh, when you come on my show. But for me, man, I, I lived a pretty, a pretty basic or a pretty stereotypical life through college. You know, like I went to high school and then you go straight to college right after. And when you, you know, when you're going through college, you're going there because that's just what you do after high school. Sure. And then when you're starting to finish college, everybody's asking you, oh, what are you going to do? What kind of work are you going to get? You know, even if you didn't go to college and you're listening to this, but it's just like that in your 20 to 23, everyone's asking, well, what are you going to do with your life? What are you going to do? What's the next step? And I had no idea what I wanted to do, but I knew exactly what I didn't want to do. And that was key for me. I knew I did not want to go into a job right away. And I knew that my life had been pretty comfortable up to that point. And it was like a fucking itch I couldn't scratch. And so I knew I had to do something. I had to do something different. And that is where I heard about AmeriCorps, which is like a domestic Peace Corps. So making that decision out of college when I was 23, that has set the tone for the rest of my life. And now I'm almost 30. And it like through AmeriCorps, going through that for a year made me realize and be exposed to wildland firefighting. Which then I realized, oh shit, I can be a wildland firefighter for six months of the year and make as much as in a total year. And then I have six months off to travel. And it just set me on this path of like possibilities and opportunities. And 
everywhere that's led me to where I'm at now, like working in the startup community and in businesses in Austin. And it all started because I just took an action on knowing what I didn't want to do. That's great. Yeah. And back me up a, a little bit. Where'd you go to school? Where'd you grow up? Set this, uh, the stage for us a little bit. Oh, you want the scene? All right. Yeah. It was January 31st, 1989, seven pounds. <laughs> no, um, I grew up in Northern California, man. So, you know, every family's got issues, but mine was, you know, fantastic. No complaints. And then uh, went to college in Southern California at a place called Cal State Channel Islands, where I literally flunked my sign language class my first semester because I was just skimboarding all day. <laughs> it's just, I love learning, but I hate school. And uh, I took a Zen of surfing class and I got a B because it was on Friday mornings and I just didn't go as often as I should. Oh my God. So, yeah. It's just like school just wasn't, it's just not something I really enjoy or I'm very good at. Um, and so that's kind of also what made me take the choice of like, I got to do something different with my life. Cause if I stick on this path, that's so far as like what everyone's told me to do, it's not really leading in the direction that I want. Man, how did you get a B in Zen of surfing? Because I would, I'd go out Thursday nights and then it was at like 8 a.m. on Friday. So, we, you know, my buddy and I only went to, I think, half the classes. I think it was a B plus though, dude. Okay. I got a B plus in the Zen of surfing. Yeah. Man, it, it sounds interesting to me, but uh, I understand the temptations of, of being in college. They were doing brainwave scans like, while we were meditating. That's what it was. <laughs> Your beta waves aren't good enough. <laughs> Is that for real? No, 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 no. I'm oh, I was going to say. <laughs> okay, so I'm assuming this was in Cal State Channel Islands. That's in Los Angeles or in Orange County? Yeah, it's in Ventura County. It's in a town called Camarillo. Yeah. Okay. And so did the people around you take alternate paths or was everyone just getting their job after school and going down, doing the traditional thing. Yeah, man. I do my best to like tell myself I'm special, but also tell myself that I'm not. <laughs> so okay, what I mean by that is like looking back, yeah, everyone else was going down. I was a business major and uh, environmental science major. And so people were just splitting down that path and, and pretty much everybody else was, was getting a job. I don't really know anybody else that decided to do something out of the ordinary like that because looking for that and finding something like that is a lot more on the fringes. It takes a little bit of like a tweak in your mind to even make yourself realize that that's a possibility. You know what I mean? Sure. And we've all have like followed the herd in a lot of cases, but like that slight tweak in your mind where you go, wait, hold on a second. Is that what I actually want to do? And following that intuition, when I saw everyone else doing that and just knowing deep down that I didn't want to do that at that moment, doing my best to follow my intuition has, has been like the biggest lesson from that I've tried to carry with me. You know, even now when I make decisions, I'm sure you did the same thing. It's like, you got to get quiet in order to hear like that very, very, very faint whisper that's telling you what you want to do next. Where everything else is yelling at you. Netflix is yelling at you and Instagram is yelling at you. And like all those things are really loud. No, that, that makes sense. I wanted you to actually, if you could go back to what you said before about how you always 
try to tell yourself you're special, but try to tell yourself you're nothing special at all. Unpack that for us. Yeah. Well, it kind of relates to my favorite quote in the world, which is wisdom is knowing that you're nothing. Love is knowing that you're everything. And between the two, your life moves. And that to me is like one of those quotes that has just always stuck with me as being a very apt description of what the fuck is going on here in this reality um, and with yourself, because it really is those two paradigms, you know, like we really are at, in the same time, life is one big contrast. And like, we're sitting here talking to each other, living, and yet we're dying at the exact same time. And so when I look at like that contrast in life, and then I look at the fact that I am a completely meaningless speck of dust that like within a year, like my memory will be long gone. And, you know, we're here for this very short period of time and that no one really, truly, the universe doesn't care about you. Like nothing, nothing is here like working on you as a, I don't know if that's the best way to say it, but that I really am insignificant in a lot of ways. And that's fine. And there's actually a lot of freedom in that. But on the flip side of that, we all are like an encapsulation of the entire fucking universe, you know? And so it, it really is those two things that come together to form this like outlook that I try and have of like, God damn it. I'm so fucking special and unique. And also you are insignificant and life is going to be over very quickly. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. I've never heard anybody put it quite that way in the insignificant realm. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. It's a, uh... I don't know. Like, what do you think about that? I mean, do you, do you feel the same way? I just, it gives me a lot of freedom when I, when I can find the balance between those two, but the insignificant thing really, it does give me freedom to act when I remind myself of that. Um, instead of, I guess it reminds myself that I'm, I don't need to take myself too seriously and to quiet my ego. Sure. Yeah. I, I, well, that's what I, how I think of it, of course, is in terms of ego and yeah, everybody wants to feel special, except you don't want to lose sight of the bigger picture or start acting privileged in some way or start acting in a way where you think you're just too cool to be kind to other people, for example. Or sure, I do a lot to try not to fit in and to be individualistic, yet Oftentimes I think of, okay, well, maybe this is a little bit self-obsessed or have struggled at times thinking about, all right, meditation and different mindfulness practices. The attention is on your internal self and it's very much about you and your emotions and your feelings and your reactions to things and your experience of consciousness. And so... I think of it like that quite a bit, but then I think of, okay, well, all right, learn what you learn in those times, but then try to focus on other people and yeah, being outwardly kind or improving the world in a certain non-egotistical way where you're not just looking to pat yourself on the back all the time, that you're really looking to make someone smile, but doing that selflessly as well. So it's, it's an interesting paradigm. Yeah. I mean, and even like you just said right there, you're like, you're trying to make someone smile, but it being selfless, but I'm sure you've, you know, know this, that it's like, it's hard to do anything that's technically hundred percent selfless, right? Cause everything has a bit of yourself in it. 
Sure. There's no completely altruistic act. And even that I feel like is a symbolic representation of the fact that giving that act is out of, out of this part that I am everything. And then there's also a bit of my ego in there. And that's like the nothing part. There's also a bit of the ego that's like, Ooh, now I feel good about myself for being nice, for holding the door open for that lady. Right? Like feels good to be, to be nice. It also feels good for my ego feels good. And so there's a little bit of that duality, even though in those simple moments. Sure. I, I love the holding the door open for somebody example, because that was one of my first lessons in mindfulness was trying to hold the door open for somebody. And if they didn't say thank you and you didn't get that gratification or they just, you know, kept looking at their cell phone and walked through with absolutely no acknowledgement. Yeah. Are you okay with that? Uh, but then, you know, I, I could remember being younger and being, wanted to be like, oh, bitch. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, where are your manners? Yeah. For sure. You didn't even say anything. Sure. No, 100%, man. Yeah. 100%. So how did you get opened up to some of these ideas? I guess I'll ask you specifically what you did in the AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps is full of, uh, it's a team of 10. And it was um, four different projects spaced out over the year. And uh, two of them were wildland firefighting because I tried out for the team within there and got trained and got to do wildland firefighting in Colorado. And then uh, one was doing working at a homeless shelter like sleeping in the basement of a church in the middle of like the Denver winter. And, uh, and then the last one was working at a ranch outside of San Antonio. Um, and actually working there is I came to Austin for one night about four years ago and I loved it so much. I was like a beer in on sixth street. And I was like, when I'm ready to move to a city, I'm moving to fucking Austin. And, uh, three, four years later when I was ready to move, I was like, I'm going to Austin. That's it. I, I always knew that. That's great. Um, that's side story. Sure. Yeah. A lot of the like ways that I just got introduced to this, like, I guess you could say, you know, I mean, it's somewhat mainstream now, but just like this alternate way of like getting yourself out of that box that you're in, where, you know, however, the way you grew up, you got to like, you got to reprogram your mind slightly, right? Because no matter where you came from, you get programmed in a malevolent way or, or a benevolent way. I always have trouble with that word. And so really it was about just like opening myself up to new books. Um, I remember the first book I read that just like blew my socks off was a book called Breaking Open the Head. Hmm. Um, and it is about this guy who travels around the world doing a boga in Africa and doing ayahuasca and doing DMT. And he just writes about all of these experiences. Um, it's an incredible book if you haven't read it. And um, that was one of the first books I remember reading that the neurons in my brain couldn't even really comprehend what I was reading. Do you know what I mean? Sure. Like, it's almost like the first time you have, like you get deep into meditation or you're in the cold water or you do shrooms or something like that. And I was reading it thinking like, this is a universe on this planet that exists, like the things that he was doing. And then that kind of led me into um, like Buddhist books, like uh, Thich Nhat Hang, I think his name is. Thich Nhat Hanh, yeah. Yeah, that's what I said. Yeah, exactly. Yep, nailed it. Yep, that's it. Uh, he had a book called You Are Here, and I read that, and that one is another one that I just remember. It's like engraved in my head as just being this like eye-opening experience into this like whole other realm of thinking, you know? Because I don't know how you were raised, but it's just like we were all raised generally in this country under like a Judeo-Christian mindset, which is nothing wrong with that, but it's just like 
it's one style of programming that then when you get exposed to other ones that you're like, Oh my God, that's really interesting. And, and then you just start shooting off to the stars. Sure. I wanted to ask who gave you that books, but split open your head. I mean, that's crazy. And actually I do want to inter I'll interrupt myself now and say that we can link up some of these resources, any books that we mentioned, et cetera, on under30experiences.com slash blog uh, for anybody who's interested. But who gave you that book and why did you even decide to read it? Okay, I got to give a shout out to my buddy, Tony Hinojosa, because we actually used to do like book exchanges back in the day. I've always been a pretty big reader and uh, we used to just swap books. And this that was one of the books that he gave me. Okay. And so you started reading more about Buddhism, you said, did you start to take some of these practices? Like I've I've read a handful of things from Thich Nhat Hanh and there's actionable stuff that people can do, you know, in the practice of mindfulness. So I'm curious what you might've learned uh, and maybe some, some other things that people could start practicing if, if they're listening. Yeah, that's a great question, man. I mean, you got to remember too, that when I was really coming to fruition, like with expanding all this kind of stuff. I had one pair of jeans. I had my work boots. I was living in a cabin near a river in Colorado. I was cutting trees down all day, like just eating pancakes and potatoes for breakfast and a hot cup of coffee, going out in the forest, cutting down trees for fucking 10 hours straight, coming back, making food with the guys in the cabin, like journaling and listening to Mumford and Sons in the evening. So, I mean, like the lifestyle was very um, ascetic, I believe is the correct word. I'll be honest. I don't even know what that means. Oh, so it's, um, I always get it confused with aesthetics. So you can have like things that are like aesthetically pleasing, but then if you're an ascetic, I believe is how you pronounce it. And that's just like, if you're a religious devotee. Okay. And so I was living like, just, I guess, very simply, you know, and um, looking back, that was a key thing. It was just like, I had a flip phone and obviously a lot of these things aren't practical to 99% of the listeners and myself included now. But one thing I was doing is I was, I was taking the time every morning to sit down and meditate for even just five minutes. And we've all heard that, you know, meditation is great. Meditation is great, but it is. And I, I have a hard time sticking with it now, but I was meditating every morning. And then in the evenings I had a flip phone. Like I said, we didn't have TV in the cabin So I was listening to music and like journaling or I was talking to the guys making dinner or I was reading. It's like, it was just so simple, man. It was so simple. There's a lot to be said about your kind of cabin in the woods type of mentality and just that retreat where you're like, all right, I grew up at this type of of way, but I'm going to disconnect from that for a little bit and it doesn't have to cost much money. I'm not going to make much money during this little phase of my life. I, I had one, right? I uh, lived on the beach in Costa Rica and paid a couple hundred dollars a month in rent, was able to pay off my student loans. And it was just a pivotal time in my life. I surfed almost every day. Sometimes I would surf twice a day. And it was just that time. And I honestly, I yearn for those times. Sometimes when things are busy for me or I'm stressed out or things in business get challenging, I think, oh man, I could go back. And I know that I could go back to that dumpy little apartment in Costa Rica. And tell me more about this 
time for you in the woods, just cooking and reading and doing you, if you will. Yeah, man. Well, first of all, to your point, that resonates with me so hard in terms of thinking about the past. And I think we all like put this golden hue on the past, you know, like I, I forget about all the things that I wasn't enjoying. And I just remember like, God damn, life was so simple. Sure. Yeah. Especially when you compare it to things that are going wrong now. And then when you look back, like the past is as nice and golden. But yeah, man, I mean, a big takeaway from like doing AmeriCorps, which then led me into firefighting all these things was I also was getting massive amounts of exposure to different people from completely different lives. And I can't stress enough how important that is. Even if you're in a city, like we're both in Austin and like just getting out and it sounds so cheesy, but like just making the effort to meet new people. Yeah. Even if it's just like one new person a month and it's just meeting them because through those pivotal years, you know, I think that's what gives a lot of your listeners and I'm sure our travelers. And that's what gets so addicting about travel because you're always being engaged with instead of Instagram and, and Facebook and all of these things that are engaging you and, and distracting you, but in this very like artificial way, it's like you are being engaged and you're being distracted, but it's in a very human, it just feels so visceral. Like it just feels like, Oh my God, this is a primal thing that I'm doing. I'm, I'm meeting new people and I'm active and I'm out in the world exploring and you're getting all these new mindsets and, and even little things, man. Like I remember, you know, friends of mine that were in the program, one girl in particular, uh, she's from New York and everything from the way that she talked to her attitude a little bit to like the things that she said that she ate, right. To the, uh, her traditions during Thanksgiving. Right. And everything was like, Oh, look at the dog. We're going to go pet the dog. And, and it was just little things like that, where it was like, Oh, I, I never knew that there were families that did that tradition for Christmas. And it, it's just little things like that when you're talking to people or through books where you're like, oh, that's that's really interesting. I didn't know that that existed until now. I know a little bit more about the universe. Like that tweaks my mind a little bit in the direction of new knowledge that feels good. And then you get you can get hooked on that. Yeah, well, I really liked your point also about Earlier, you talked about how, yeah, you just think of, you yearn for the good old days and realize that, oh yeah, weren't that you romanticize about them, you get nostalgic about them, but it also kind of sucks being broke, right? Or there are things that probably weren't so good in it, and it was more simple. The example that comes to mind really easily is, I lived in that little town in Costa Rica for close to five years. I'll, I'll go back in a few weeks, actually. And down there, right, when I was taking the bus, yeah, it sucked waiting for the bus. Let me tell you, it really kind of sucks not knowing when the next bus is going to come and you wait around. But as long as you had uh, 305 colones in your pocket, you could get around. And then, of course, I buy a nice truck down there. And yeah, of course, any automobile that's in the jungle is going to have some issues. And then you have issues with your vehicle and you're like, oh my God, why is this? But I have access to anywhere I want to go in Costa Rica. Of course it breaks because I take it in some ridiculous place in the rainforest to go explore some hidden waterfall on these crazy trips. And so 
I'm like, oh God, I just need to sell this thing. I wish that life was more simple. But once you get a taste of something <laughs> bigger, you know, the stress comes yeah. as things get more complicated. I'd love to know if you've had similar experiences in, in your life. Yeah, well, I mean, the simplicity part of like, you know, I was living out of a backpack, like I said, for months on end at AmeriCorps. And then even, you know, in firefighting, I had like, I was renting these little places down by the border and I just had a few boxes in my room and just, you know, living very, very simply. And, and you're right. It's like humans are very good at whatever problems we do accrue are level 10 problems. Right. And so you relatively looking back now, you being upset about your car breaking down that was taking you to these amazing places in the jungle. Like me and you sitting here objectively looking back on that is like, dude, Matt, can you not see like we're, you know, we're looking at this third party view and it's like, that's incredible, man. That's like, that's such a good problem to have. It's not even a problem. Sure. But when you're in it and you're just looking out, it just seems like it's all weighted down on you heavily. I mean, a lot of the problems that I would encounter, you know, involved like, yeah, delays, or even like a lot of the problems that you end up having, like I remember when I was applying for wildland firefighting, I really wanted to go work back in Colorado because some of my friends from AmeriCorps were there and I, I forgot to submit. I don't know if you've ever done uh, government submissions before, but it's archaic. And uh, I, I went to go check to see if I got into the station I applied for and they were like, oh, we never got your submission. And I forgot to click the box for that particular station in Colorado. Long story short, at that point, there's nothing they can do. Oof. And I was so pissed, man. I was so frustrated at myself. And God, I just thought that like my life was over. I had imagined like being out there with my friends in Colorado, doing the firefighting. And I was just so upset, man. I was like working at a storage unit after AmeriCorps for six months while I was like applying for all these firefighting jobs. And I was like, that's it, dude. Like my life is over. I'm just going to be a fucking loser. Like <laughs> that's it. And then, of course, like within a month, I got a call for a position down by the border in Arizona that turned out to be the best thing imaginable. And I can't even imagine working in Colorado. But at the time, though, you know, like that problem was so real and I couldn't handle it. And now, of course, looking back, it's like, dude, that's such a small speed bump, man. <laughs> OK, so how can people gain better perspective out there when they're in the thick of it and they think that this problem at hand is the most stressful thing and there's so much urgency around it and they just can't see which way is up and which way is down and, and they just want their emotions to, to take over. How do they get out of that box? Write everything. Right. Okay. Write it all down. I mean, there is no practice that is more effective and cheap than getting a fucking piece of paper in a pen sitting down. And first of all, what I recommend is free form, write everything. I, I swear to God, Matt, I just did this last week. I had no idea why I was so pissed. I was just that pent up frustration, got out a piece of paper and I started writing and probably the first top of the page had 20 fucks in it. And it was just like, God fucking my life. Da, 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 da. Just, just venting. I don't even know what I was really writing. I was going to say, can you share what you were so upset? You were all intrigued now. That's the thing, right? It's like in those moments, you're just, it's, it's full of emotion. There's no rational thinking like there, rational thinking to it. And uh, I just was writing just like fucking this, fucking this, that, like all these frustrations were coming out. And as I started writing, 
the letters at the top were big and they were just like carved in there like stone, man. And a lot of swear words. And as I got down and farther, farther down the paper, they started to calm out. You know, they got smaller. The swear words started to disappear. It turned into fluid sentences. And I just kept writing for about a page or two of just things that were coming to my mind. That's the first step is just write whatever's on your head. Like don't judge anything. And then the second part is to really analyze what it is that you're scared of. So like I'm moving in, I was single from like 23 to 29 because I was just traveling so much and having fun and uh, started dating this wonderful girl about a year ago. And now we're moving in together in February. And when we decided that I just, got all these pent up things in my head about, oh my God, this is actually coming real. And like, I could feel this like tension building and I had no idea what it was. And so after I did that initial page of write out, then I just broke it down. And I just said like, I'm scared. It's like, why? Cause we could break up and then we have to move all our stuff out or this could go horribly wrong. Or a big one was because I have only lived by myself. Like what if we get sick of each other? I value my independence. Like I just started listing out all these things that were scaring me or that I had, you know, issues with. And then once you see them on paper, man, they just lose so much weight and they're also out of your head. And they're just these, they're just these real things on the paper. And they're just, it's so stupid, man, because like we get these things pent up in our head about like a fear of this and a fear of that. And then when you actually just write out, I'm scared of losing my independence. You're like, Oh, it's just six words on a paper. I can, tell her that and I can go for a bike ride every afternoon. It just becomes so much simpler if you just get it out of your head, man. Do you do that at all? Yeah. I mean, I like to journal for sure, especially if there's things I'm like, all right, yeah, I do need to get this out of my head. Mm -hmm. I have a, a consistent meditation practice, but I also know sometimes that it's important not just to let it go where you can you know, you could call it spiritual bypassing where you just go somewhere else or you just let that all go when you don't, you never actually looked at it because you just meditated it away. I mean, it might sound crazy to someone who's never experienced that before, but that is possible. Maybe you didn't actually take a good look at it, but once you put it down on paper and you reread it, that's really important and then you can take action on it, right? It's just like sometimes meditation can just be like anything else where you change the channel and you just go do something else or you're just not going to deal with this. So that's in my experience, I'm careful not to just say, oh, I'm just going to go to yoga class and and then I'm going to feel good by the end of it. And then I'm never going to actually address what that core problem was. So yeah, I, I do. I think that's a, a really good way and then following up on whatever that journal entry is or that piece of paper, like you said, going and actually taking action and talking to your girlfriend. I think that's that's key because, okay, it's out of you, but now let's go solve whatever the real issue is here or let's don't just keep it to yourself. Make some type of resolution where you then went and said, all right, here it is here are my fears and here is my mini action plan for how I want to take care of this. I think it's very important for you to know. Yeah, no, a hundred percent, man. And I think that's almost more difficult sometimes than, than figuring out what it is in your head. 
Because once you sit down with a piece of paper, it is pretty easy actually to get the hang of it for the things to just flow out of you that are upsetting you or that you're worried about or, you know, frustrating you. But then to take that and like go to your boss and have that conversation or go to your business partner or go to your girlfriend, boyfriend, whatever, and actually like address these concerns in a logical manner that like hopefully doesn't involve too much of your ego, like we were talking about earlier or your emotions and just kind of say, Hey, this is what I'm feeling. And this is it. That's like probably 80% of it. That, Cause I think that that's much more difficult. Now that's, that's cool. Well, thank you. Thank you for sharing and kind of pivoting back to your story after you had your job domestically. Yeah, tell me more about your, your overseas adventures. Yeah, man. I basically knew from my grandmother was Cuban. And so I knew that I just South America called to me. Oh, like I was talking about earlier, the intuition. It sounds like it called to you as well. Mm-hmm. I love the culture, the people, everything about it. I'm a talkative person, as you can tell. So, you know, the Latin culture just definitely appeals to me more than like my dad's side of the family. That's a little more waspy. <laughs> sure. But anyway, man. Yeah. So after my first fire season, I knew I was going to South America. So I booked a one-way flight to Peru and I had basically five months to kill with a backpack. I think like a 35 liter backpack. So decently small, which you can get away with in South America, you know, in the summer. And that was it, man. I bounced down there to Lima. You know, I showed them that I had a, a bus up to Ecuador three months or three weeks later, just as a proof that I was, you know, leaving the country or whatever. You know how that is. Yeah. And mm-hmm. stayed in Lima for a month. And then I literally was like, well, I guess, fuck it. I have this bus ticket to Ecuador. I'll go up there. And literally on the way I was, then I saw the Galapagos. So I went there and I just, I just freeformed it for the next like four months, capping off in Costa Rica, actually doing like a giant ayahuasca ceremony and, and then flying back for the next fire season. So it was great though, man. And if anybody's like at that point in their life, that's listening that you're trying to, well, we're all trying to figure out what we're going to do. But if you're, especially right after college, like I am such a big proponent of these government jobs that are seasonal because they let you meet new people. They let you see amazing places in the country while you're getting paid. And then they give you six months off where you can do all this travel that you want. Like it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Yeah. Not a bad gig, huh? It's not a bad gig. And so that's how I funded it. I funded it by working 80, 90 hours a week during the summer I was stationed on the border of Mexico and traveling to fires across the country from April to October. And then I'd take a month off in October usually, or like end of September. And then I'd go back down to South America. So the next time I went to Guatemala and I went to um, Mexico and then Cuba and yeah, man. So really just a lot of, a lot of South America. And you know, it's just when you set up your lifestyle, if you can set it up in a sustainable way to do that, it is a lot more possible than, than you think. And it's also a lot cheaper than you think. And there's a ton of resources out there for that. And, you know, your whole company is kind of based around that and, and giving people the resources for that. So, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here, but it is incredible how cheap it is when once again, you just like peek under the little, you know, hood that's not in the mainstream and away from all the advertisements. And you just take a second to look over to the far left and you're like, oh my God, there's all these resources on how I can travel for 50 bucks a day, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I'm actually in the process of writing a book, the Millennial Travel Guidebook. Oh, hell yeah, man. Awesome. Yeah, so it's going to be cool. And, and of course, it's going to start 
more about the mindset and and the shift that people need to make to be able to even some people have uh, trouble even telling their family that they're going abroad. It's a very good point. And, you know, if they're from a small town or, or from a place that where nobody else travels and, you know, I'm going to have a chapter on how to get the get the money together and how to, yeah, how to take up minimalism so you can save money while you're at home so you can be able to travel. And then, of course, more, more nuts and, and bolts of how to do things cheaply and, and efficiently. It's not necessarily going to be for budget travelers because to each their own, right? If you only have a week, okay, go and, and spend some big money if, if you want, if that's what's going to make you happy. But I'd love to know a little bit more about your take on budget travel and uh, how you like to do things. And you know, what's, what's your travel style, especially if you're taking off for five or, or six months and selecting, okay, I don't really know where I'm going to go. Uh, yeah. How did you manage things? Were you just staying in hostels? Tell me about that. Kind of, man. So there's this website and you have to, I'll, I'll tell at the end of the story. Okay. <laughs> so, as like, you know, like the, the arc, a story arc, but I would find these places, like for instance, in Costa Rica, I was living on this beautiful farm for a month and they had, you know, pineapple bushes and they had sugar cane and Kid you not, Matt, like macaws were flying over every morning. Oh, yeah. And it was just this very remote place. And I was living there for free. I was eating and living for free. And you can do that by going to a website called workaway.info is one of them that I used. Another one is helpx.net. And these are all work exchange websites that I'm sure you're going to include in your book. Sure. Where you can work on a farm for free. That's what I did in Costa Rica. I actually helped out at a non-functioning hostel. It was like uh, Gilligan's Island, dude. I'm not even kidding you. On the border of like in the Darien Gap in Colombia, like in the middle of the jungle at this non-functioning hostel, we just slept in hammocks for three weeks, all thinking it was going to be a functioning hostel. Great experience. But that was all found with workaway.info. And so those types of things, what I would usually do is I would like find either a workaway or somebody I knew in a spot. So like I had family in Panama city, I had family friends in Lima and then like in Costa Rica and Colombia, I would do the workaway stuff. And so I'd always like give myself an anchor is the way I looked at it. I didn't like going into places without any type of kind of, um, know how, I guess. Okay. So I'd give myself an anchor. So even if it was like, I'm going to go work at this workaway thing for a week, then at least in, in that week, hell in like two days at that place, you know, everyone else is traveling too. So you meet a thousand people, you hear tips about the area, you hear where to go, where not to go. What are the best buses to take? Where are the best restaurants? Hey, I just came back from this country. Hey, I'm going there within a week of these places. You kind of get your bearings and then you can move on to the next spot. And that's the basic like structure that I used for most of my travels. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And again, we can link these stuff up on under30experiences.com slash blog. And yeah, woofing is another resource that I wanted to, yes. to include this network of organic farms that you can go work on. Do you have any other experience? Actually, one of the parts in the book, or at least we dedicate, I'll dedicate a small section 
to volunteering. I know you've done AmeriCorps. Yeah. Now that's domestic. I know that you've volunteered on some farms. Yeah. Any other resources you have for people who specifically want to volunteer abroad? No, man. I mean, I, I did use Wolf. I didn't actually, I, I looked it up on stuff. I never actually went on a farm. And then workaway.info and helpx.net. That's where I got the majority of my stuff. Okay. Um, of course, there's Peace Corps is a huge one if you want to do the, you know, the big two year tour. Sure. That's a whole other, a whole other ball game entirely. Yeah. That's something we'll, we'll of course, in, include as well. And so then bring us up to speed. So it sounds like you've, you've traveled a whole lot. You were a wildland firefighter. Yeah. And that was before you moved to Austin. It, it sounds like you're not doing that anymore. Is that correct? Nope. Yeah. I stopped that after four seasons and yeah, was ready to hang up the boots as they say. So yeah, cruised out to Austin and, and lately, man, I've just been, I've been putting all my effort into my podcast, which is rewrite the rules, um, where I basically have people on like you, you know, you'll be on here. Once I get the studio set up, I'll have you on the next month or two. And, uh, it's just showing people how to live life on their own terms and it's showing how easy it is. And it doesn't have to be this giant thing. And it doesn't even have to be about travel. Like, forget about travel. Maybe you want to rewrite the rules of your job situation. I've had people on that are, you know, polyamorous. And maybe you want to rewrite the rules of your relationship, of your financial situation. Like, fuck, I know I do. And so there's a lot of things like that, that it's like, we can all take little bits and pieces from all these people. And how do we live on our own terms, you know, with all these possibilities that we have. So it's, it's my job to showcase that to the world. At least that's what I tell myself. And so I do that through the podcast, through the Rewrite the Rules brand, through events I'm hosting. And then um, I've been taking on clients too to actually help people get over kind of like what you talked about, actually, man, like the mindset stuff initially, which holds a lot of people back from like actually taking those action steps when it's like they either need to figure out what they want to do or they just have something holding them back. I've been taking on clients through this program that I created using a lot of the people from my podcast and my own experiences in terms of like how to get people to take action towards that new life they want. So yeah, it's been a bit of a whirlwind, man. But uh, now here we are. <laughs> That's great. Beautiful. Hey, hey, do you have an example of of some of the stuff that, that you do or maybe something actionable that we can give to people right now who are listening, who are saying, yeah, I would like to rewrite the rules of my life. For sure. Yeah, no, that's a good question, man. So one of the things that I do with my clients is what I mentioned earlier in terms of the, what you want and what you don't want. And so one of the things I have them do is I have them write down 80 things that they want, like that they'd like to have, that they'd like to do in their life, right? In terms of like goals. So some of mine are like, I'd love to learn how to build a house. You know, I'd also love to you know, have chickens one day, you know, and I'd also like to travel to the Himalayas and I'd like to, you know, read this amount of books. And so it can be large or small. And you write down 80 things that you'd like to have that you want, these kind of dream things. And then you write down 20 things that you don't want. And that last 20 is so crucial because like I mentioned earlier, we get so caught up in what we want. Everyone tells us, figure out what you want, figure out what you want, figure out what you want and go for it. And that's very true, but you got that counterbalancing is also extremely important because you can know for sure you don't want a nine to five. And then any other decision you make that's not a nine to five job is the right decision. 
right? I mean, like, yeah, you're on the path, like thinking that we have to make this next choice and it's going to define our entire lives. And like that, it is, that is it is a very poisonous ideal that I've taken on. And I think a lot of people have taken on before where it doesn't have to be that big a deal. Like just figure out the things you want, figure out the things you don't want and then make a decision off of that. So that's a big one I've used with clients. I've seen success with write down 80 things you want and it might take a while and then write down 20 things, you know, you don't want in your life and that's relationships, your job, everything. How do you know you don't want these things? This is the second time you've brought this up on the podcast. So from past experience or yeah. looking around at other people? No, the stuff I don't want, man, that's that, that's just me. I mean, I just, I just know. How? How do you know? You know, I figure it out when I give myself space to figure it out. And it's, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. So it's like an intuition. It's that whisper. You know, that sounds so cheesy and cliche. But when I give myself space... When I'm on my phone a lot and I'm working on stuff and I'm in the grind, so to speak, then I can lose track of that. Yeah. But the day, the minute that I go out in nature for a few hours and I leave my phone in the car, I hear it, you know? I think to myself, no, I, I really, I don't want to, let's say, move back to California, you know? Because my parents will say, when are you coming back? When are you coming back? And, you know, sometimes I'll think to myself, is that something I want? you know, do I want to move here? Do I want to move there? And I will give myself space and realize all I know is I don't want to move back to California. And it's as simple as that, you know? Sure. And as difficult as that too. Sure. <laughs> and and how can people avoid judging the people in their life or their parents, for example, or the people in their hometown? Or mm. I don't know, it's difficult because if you're thinking about what you don't want, sure, a lot of that can be based on your own experiences and truly coming from you, but it's very easy. And I think everybody falls into the trap at some point and looking around the, at the people that surround them like, okay, I don't want that because that happened to that person or look how this person lives their life. I really don't want to be like that. And those sometimes are the easiest things to write down, but you don't necessarily want to pass judgment upon other people. That shouldn't be what you said, I think is the quote, right answer by listening to yourself. But it's very easy for people to look to the external world for some type of validation and say, okay, this family member acts like this. That's what I don't want. But you're placing judgment on them, which judgment is okay at times, but you shouldn't focus on it too hard, in my opinion. Yeah, I think it's wrong wording there, to be honest, man. I, I think you can make, you're allowed to make an assessment. Okay. I think that there's a big difference between, you know, I always say this, you know, to my, I don't want to get non PC here, but my gay friends that'll come over and it's like, I always tell them, it's like, you know, of course I knew you were gay. Right. And that, I made an assessment of them based on maybe a stereotype, but it's like, I make, I made an assessment. I'm not judging them based on that. Right. Well, I like that vocabulary. Yeah. Like I'm making a set. You got this long hair, you're wearing a beanie. Like you're probably someone I'd like to get to know. <laughs> like you look like a chill guy. Right. Like I'm just making that assessment. Sure. I'm not judging you on your long hair. I'm not judging you on anything. I'm just making an honest assessment on what you look like, the way you act, the way that we all should be doing that day to day. We all should be making assessments. And so I think that's a pivotal thing is like the more you can just make an assessment of people objectively at your family, your friends, 
of course, the most potent one is Instagram. If you can just put that down for a while, like I said, and give yourself the space away from anything remotely like that. But then the people that are in your life, like you mentioned, family, friends, things like that. If you can just see it as an assessment and just think, is this person the life I want to live? Because think about this, man, even like even Jeff Bezos, right? I don't want his life, but he's very successful by a lot of standards. And I'm, I'm not judging him on his life. I'm just making an assessment objectively. I don't want his life, you know, and you can do the same for your mom and your dad and your family, which I know is difficult because that shit is sticky. Like those relationships have so much influence over us. And to just be able to pull back and make an assessment and say, I don't want the life that they're talking about. I just don't. And there's nothing wrong with me. There's nothing wrong with them. That's just what it is. That's great. Well, I appreciate the uh, the vocabulary yeah. shift there, and I'll, I'll try to yeah, I'll try to make that in my own life. See how that plays out. Because right on, man. Let me know how it goes. Yeah, I, I walk around feeling bad to, uh, for quote judging. Yet this assessment is it's your roadmap. Like the you know your ego is is your roadmap for how to get a, along around uh, life, if you're walking down the street and two guys, regardless of what they look like, well, regardless of of what race or ethnicity or anything like that, look like they're about to fuck you up. Well, you should make a quick judgment. A hundred percent. You know, sorry. Make a quick assessment. (laughs) Make a quick assessment. If a homeboy is walking down the street, I don't care if he's white, black, or Chinese, and he has a fucking tattoo on his face, I am making an assessment to cross the street. Right. Like there you, you go. Can have a tattoo on your face all you want, but I'm gonna cross the street, you know? Sure. And you might under another context, you might get to know this person and find out that they're they're a really cool guy and uh you have a nice conversation. Totally, a hundred percent. Yeah, exactly, man. But at some point it is this primal instinct to protect ourselves. Yeah, yeah, and just we're always assessing our situations and there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with assessing the people in your life and assessing the habits that you have and assessing the food that you eat and assessing the, you know, the person that's walking up to your car door, you know? Right. (laughs) No, makes sense. Makes sense. Well, Alex, before I let you go, I I was just curious if you had anything else for people. Yeah. Had any, anything people and, and ask of people, of course they can check you out on, we write the rules podcast, any way that my community can contribute to what you're doing. Yeah, man. No, well, first of all, did I just say, yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Honestly, it was great to talk to you in your sauna. No, fine, <laughs> fine conversation. If anybody's watching on YouTube, it does look like I'm in a sauna in a yeah. beanie and a North Face pullover right now. Yeah. Looks like just getting after, about to jump in the ice bath after. I wish. Yeah, no, um, you know, man, I just would love if people, if they if you want to listen to my podcast, I do my best to put out stuff that's, that's valuable for people. People want to listen to that. And of course, then you can, you know, get connected to the people I have on. And that's what it's all about is just trying to spread the the good knowledge that's out there. Like when I have you on, hopefully people hear you and then they think, what the fuck, what is Matt Wilson up to? I'm going to go check this out. And then they hear about you. They read your book. That's what it's all about, man. It's like there's a there's an underground movement going on to harness and create this new reality. And, uh, you know, I would just I'd be privileged if people took the time out of their day to to give a listen to what I'm doing. And then uh, over at AlexStar.com, I do some writing and I'm working on a book as well. So, yeah, man, just follow me on Instagram is Alex H. Star. 
that's where I do most of my posting. So any way to get in touch, I would love to hear from anybody. That's right. I'm going to have people go over and make an assessment of you, Alex H. Star with two R's. With two R's. That's right. Assess the shit out of me. It's fine. Awesome, man. The uh, <laughs> the podcast is Rewrite the Rules. And thanks. Yeah. I appreciate it. We got to hang out here in Austin. Oh, hell yeah, Matt. No, we will do. Will do, man. Sounds good. Well, yeah, thanks again and uh, appreciate you. All right. Yeah, you too, man. Later.